When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Wonderful. Thank you. Let's um, let our listeners know about athleticgreens.com slash surf for our, all of their health needs. Scott, if you had the cure to something that ailed you, would you not feel <laughs> obligated to share it with all of our listeners? I would. And that thing or one of those things is athletic greens, because the thing that it ails is my need for proper uh, vitamins and nutrients that I get from athletic greens. And what's cool, all those enzymes that help the digestive process. So I'm a huge fan. I drink it daily. And you know who else is drinking it? The rest of my family, which means I need some more athletic greens. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for the reminder. Um, my mom's, yeah, my mom's on the program. She signed up without even my uh, sending it to her, or prompting her to do it or whatever. My pregnant fiance is also drinking it for the health of our upcoming child. So fiance. everybody's on it. Yeah. This is news, right? Oh, is it? Kind of, I think. I. Uh, sorry, Scott. I apologize for not. No, I, no, no. I'm stoked for you guys. I, I'm just, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, a young child will be birthed with married parents. Well, he won't be, but we'll get married oh. after the fact. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but he will be healthy. That's the right. important thing. Right. Athletic Greens. Uh, exactly. Athleticgreens.com slash surf. And of course, Need Essentials uh, keeps us warm and entertained, by the way. Lost Track Atlantic, episode three, debut oh, yeah. last night. It is available now. We will post it with today's episode and link to it as well. So, Yes. Uh, neatessentials.com. Absolutely. As we see some movement at the takeoff zone, it's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry, this thing holding open, it spits. Uh, when it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. He comes out with the spit, spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got <laughs> yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Good morning, David. Welcome to our show. It's Spit, and it's Scott Bass and David Lee Scales, and we're talking a lot of things surf, mostly surf we're talking, and uh, it is August 3rd. It's a Tuesday. We're in the middle of a lot of stuff, including the Olympic Games, including um, Stab High, including Lost Atlantic. Um, yeah. Good morning. Lost David. Track Atlantic. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I always call it Lost Atlantic. Lost Track Atlantic. Right. No, it's okay. Um, I've got a listener email that I would like to read to you because it actually relates to the background. Uh, if for anybody who's watching this episode on YouTube, they can see that there are surfboards, new surfboards even, and old surfboards oh. in your background. New um, surfboards. So this listener sent me an email and he said, a challenge for yeah guy. I don't know of anybody in any sport or activity that comes even close 
to Scott Bass and his completely absurd relation and dependency on new surfboards. In each and every episode of Spit and the boardroom, he always talks about that he has given, uh, that he's getting at least one new board, maybe more. How is this even possible? Is he uber rich? Does he get everything for free? Where does he store them? How can one person come close to even understanding this many boards? Usually it takes time to get to know and understand a board, what fin configurations, etc. So the challenge for yeah guy would be to see how long he could go without getting a new board. Let's say the challenge is for six months, which is probably impossible. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he wouldn't accept this, but let's assume that he would. How would that impact his surfing? Would it make his surfing better or worse? Maybe Scott is like those golfers uh, that believe that the secret to getting better at putting is to find the perfect putter. So they switch up and they buy a new one all the time, while the reality is that the best putters use the same putter all of the time and are consistent with their stroke. Okay, well, that's a, that is a great email. I got to say, there's a lot to unpack there, David. Um, I don't know where to start. Should we take it at the beginning? Like, I don't have it in front of me. Take, so it, I can't... take it where your heart goes. Okay, so my first thing is, okay, there's a six-month challenge, right? He's challenged me um, to only ride one board, right? More no, or less. to not buy boards. To not buy boards. Well, not buying boards is, isn't a problem. Um, it's get it's receiving boards. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> so no receiving. You have to put a stop, put now, up a barrier. Well, now, well, he brings up some good points. So I do have moments where, much like a, a putter, uh, a golfer, which is a great analogy, where I'm just like, oh, I'm kind of fixated on a certain board for whatever reason. You know, like at some point in the day, maybe I watch a video and I'm like, oh my god, that guy's bored. Blah blah blah. In my mind, you know, and I'm, and so I search it out and I find it and I. I go and buy it <laughs> and um but that doesn't happen too often but it does happen um so roll, the going... roll the tape it happens all the time <laughs> it does and so where am i going with this um the six month challenge um to buy a new board i think i can do that i think i can do that and and he brings up some other good points. Like, can you read some more of the email and stop yeah. so I can comment? Yeah, no, no, no. The main point was just, will this, the six months challenge improve or uh, lessen your surfing, basically? Like, yeah. if you just focused on one thing, and in addition to that, can you ever even get to know an individual board if you're constantly moving on to the next? Yeah, this is a really great point that the, the emailer, what's his name or we're not allowed to use his name? I didn't write his name down. Okay, anyway, it's a great point. So I would argue that um, riding one board for six months would improve my surfing. I, I would suggest to you that right now my surfing's not that great because I'm jumping all over the place and, uh, and it's a problem. And I've actually, I've spoken to you, I believe, uh, maybe on this show about trying to bring it all in and to bring it into a neutral place. Cause I've just, I've got, I've received so many boards that I'm just kind of chaotic. I'm, I, it's like I have a bag full of putters and I don't know which one to use. And so I'm trying to neutralize that. Now, um, And I, so the answer to the question, yes, it would help me to just kind of stay on one board for, a, for six months would be a long time for me. I think if I stayed on one board for three months, I'd be like, okay, I either like this board or I don't, or I like the way that I'm surfing on this board or I don't, you know? And What's interesting is that in the winter, 
I do pretty much just go to two boards. You know, like I'm, I'm, I've selected a board that I'm going to ride because the winter for me is a little bit more um, challenging. It, you know, the waves are bigger, the surf's pumping. And so I want something that I can rely on. And um, so in the summer, I'm a little bit more, oh, the waves are crappy. And I'm kind of always searching for something with speed, but that also has power, but that also has hold, you know, and it, and I don't think I'm alone in that. I think I was talking to somebody the other day, maybe it was you, but um, it seems like our search for the perfect small wave board is sort of a never ending search because small waves generally suck, um, you know, at least around here. And um, so, yeah, what else did he, he wrote some other good stuff. So, there. so does, um, are you even giving each individual board its fair shake? Are you doing the board justice? Probably not. That's another good yeah. point. I'm probably not. Um, I, I get to this place where I'll ride it a couple of times. And if I don't feel I'm at a place where if I ride it a couple of times, I either like the board right away. Like it, it has, uh, the board is more or less made for the way I surf or it's not. And so I'll just go up, put that one on hold and I'll put it in my storage and I might return to it in say six months and, and have some time with it and enjoy it again, which has happened. I've had boards where I was like, Oh, I hate this thing. And I stash it. And then I revisit it in six months. And I'm like, wow, what did I miss there? You know, and maybe that has to do with the quality of the waves or the time of the year that I'm using the board. I don't know. But um, so what was it? Or maybe it, maybe it just took five sessions to get to the point that you appreciated right. it and you were, you put it away at the fourth session. Right. So am I not giving the boards a fair shake? Probably not, probably yeah. not. But I'm also at a place where I just want a board that I can go, oh yeah, for whatever reason, the volume, thickness, foil, fins, everything's more or less good. Now I can just, now give me, give me two months to kind of work it out, but I'm comfortable yeah. with what the base starting place. I agree else, with that. What else did he have in there? He had a couple more things. Well, I agree with that though, in that um, I've had boards that it takes five sessions, you know, and it, I think with anything in life, if you have a wide variety of them sitting in front of you, you simply don't appreciate each individual one that much. I mean, take a toddler with toys, or if you just had, if rice was your only meal that was available, you would be yeah. very, very appreciative of rice, you know, yeah. if you were going to starve otherwise. But if rice is in our cupboard right now and it's right next to pasta and it's right next to fresh meat and fruits and vegetables, the rice never gets eaten. You know, that's like we make it once every two weeks. And even then we're not really enamored by it. So yeah. I think that that logic just is, I mean, it's just logic that applies to everything, um, which is un fair for surfboards in particular because of all the work that goes in, especially if these are our individual friends who are shaping these boards for us. And they're like, man, I heard you guys talking on the podcast. I've solved for this or that. Here's a board for you. You guys should ride it. And you and I are like, cool, we'll put it in line. <laughs> yeah, it's a problem, you know, and, and as the, as the emailer probably knows, um, you know, I work in the surfboard manufacturing space. So I get a lot of surfboards, um, which is a full-on blessing, and I and I and I do I do have a lot of gratitude for it. Um, but it can be a little bit overwhelming. And the emailer should also know that for a long time, when I worked at Surfer Magazine, and people that surf with me know this, I only rode one board for like four or five years, in most conditions, you know, unless it was a big wintertime swell. But my go-to board for say 
shoulder high and below, which is probably 80% of the time, was just one board. What and, was it? Uh, it was uh, a Mike Hinson Twinser, the Golden Nugget, I've named it. And it's sort of like that special Valerian steel blade that one might carry in, in medieval times, you know. It seemed to uh, it seemed to take care of the White Walkers, so to speak. Um, you've mentioned that before, and yeah. listeners probably identified it is the same board that you mention every time. I'm always waiting. I always ask you what the board was because I'm waiting for there to be like <laughs> ten different boards. <laughs> I only rode one board for it was like I don't know a decade, and then. <laughs> you would have had to have lived 100 years for yeah. all of those boards to right. actually be. <laughs> well, but the every other... time, for the record, every time it is the Henson Golden Nugget. Yeah. And and there's another board. Wayne Rich made me a board. Um, it's called the B-Dog, the design. And and there's actually, he, he just sent me a text the other day with a picture of a brand new shaped B-Dog that's probably going to be coming my way. I was waiting uh, for the update on that because you said yeah. that you ordered a new one. It's come and probably be here for the boardroom show in September. And that's the other, you know, so I, it's, you know, and then like my good friend, Tim Crozier dropped off this really cool. Um, what's the name of that board again? Um, Hawkeye. The Hawkeye. Yeah. It's like a modified Hawkeye or the Hawkeye two or something. And then Todd McFarland, I actually ordered that board. It's a sunset surfboards, just yep. a three, just a three fin with a deep single concave. Yep. And so, I'm like really excited about both these boards. I've been, I haven't surfed in probably two and a half or three weeks with an injury. And I'm trying to get over that. So these boards remain unwaxed and behind me. And um, I sit here and I'm getting fat with the sourdough, the sourdough, luckily for the athletic greens, but the sourdough diet's not helping. And um, I'm sort of limited in what I can do. So. Um, All right. Well, I got three questions I want to unpack there. Uh, did you know Brad Gerlach's very first board ever was a sunset surfboard? I didn't know that, but it doesn't surprise me because Brad uh, and I grew up in the same area here. Number two, we are giving away a Tim Crozier Blackbird Surfboards Hawkeye to a lucky listener, uh, one of our subscribers at the end of this month. Oh, that's sick. You know what you sh I should do is I should send you a photo. My son's been riding a Hawkeye and he got a killer shot of him surfing on the board. I'll send it to you so you can check it out. But the, it is going to be a lucky listener that gets the, and by the way, um, I'm interrupting my thought process here, but I'm going to be interviewing Tim Crozier for the boardroom show. Have you interviewed Son, Tim? I'm, I am as well to, oh, advertise, to advertise the Hawkeye. Man, he's really working us. I know. I he's he's like got a full PR strategies, like the boardroom's coming up. I got to get my name out there. Let's well, give him a surfboard. I was going to interview him because people might not know this, but he's my right-hand guy. He, he really helps me a lot with the boardroom show. So I was going to do like a boardroom retrospective, uh, you know, over the past 15 years. You know, okay. he and I have gone through, we've seen a lot, you know, we've gone through a lot of stuff. And so I was going to do a little bit of the podcast just kind of on that. I think you should. Um, Tim is, and listeners will learn this immediately upon listening, but he is the nicest guy ever. Like I first met him at the boardroom show, not knowing his name. He didn't know who I was or my name or anything. And it was just like, made me feel uh, like we were best friends and like I was welcome, you know? And so super cool. But anyways, the surfboard itself, I've been riding that Hawkeye for a month now. Really? Um, Cause he made one for me as well. Yeah. yeah. And 
absolutely love it. It took me two or three sessions to really um, feel natural on it. I was kind of trying to surf it a little bit differently. Ooh. So it was right at that place where you might just put it aside for four months. Yeah. Well, no, because he and I were texting all the time and he was kind yeah. of, and then he was sending me footage of his kids riding it. Yeah. And so I was able to kind of, cause um, ultimately, well, I don't want to get too much into it quite yet. Yeah. Once you start surfing it, then we'll kind of share notes. Yeah. But I just, I had a different, because of the shape and the design of it, I put it into my mind in a category that I need to surf this differently. And ultimately you just want to ride the thing like a shortboard and it kind of goes like a shortboard. So um, anyways, Blackbird Surfboards, he deserves a shout out. Our listeners, for everybody who subscribes for five bucks a month, uh, they get an ad-free listening experience. There's a separate feed with no advertising on it. So that's a benefit, but also we try to do things like these surfboard giveaways. And so um, thanks to Tim. That was me sending you in the photo of my kid on the text message. Tim's Hawkeye. Um, He's absolutely, it's a killer. Oh my gosh. It is such a, he's flaring the fins out. It's backlit. I I mean, it is sick. Hold on. I'll hold it up to the screen. Yeah. I'll hold it up to the screen and talk so that the camera stays on me. It's not Uh, really, um, it needs to be pulled back a little bit or or tilt it so that uh, it's kind of in a, okay, that's better. Yeah. That's there we go. So anyways, he's just flaring the fins on a top turn and it's a twin fin, by the way, it's kind of a short flat rock, flat, uh, entry rocker twin fin with a little bump in the tail. Yeah. That shot gets you excited to ride the board. You're like, wow, this thing looks like it flares out. Um, what, so I've been riding him with the C drives, by the way. Yeah. That's what he said. I put some just kind of standard MR style, big twin fins in it. Um, I Hold on, I'll show you if you got a okay. stack here. Can you... Yeah. Yeah. So you saw the big, big twin yeah. fins. So I started, he uh, made a fin with NVS, like a Blackbird fin with NVS. And so I started with those and then I wanted a bigger fin. So I was going to C drive and then I was going to put the albums, which are also big and upright, but I never made it to the albums. I've just been riding the C drives and I'm fully happy with it. And kind of to the point of not co- overcomplicating things. Yeah. I'm, ha- I'm happy here. That. I'm just going to leave it here. Yeah. I'm, I'm having a blast. That. Yeah. I totally get that. I was talking to Tim about that too. Like, I'm just going to put one fin that I think makes sense and, and also get input from the shaper, Tim. And we both kind of went through my fin box. I've got a box of all sorts of fins and we selected those ones as a place to start. And I'm with you. If I like them, I'm probably just going to stay there. And I don't say that out of like sloth. I say that more out of you know, it's kind of like, if it works, why mess with it? You know, if it's working exactly. really good, you know? Exactly. Um, I did want to give a shout out as well to Dick Metz. Um, yes. Do you know why? Well, yeah, he's a couple of things. Well, the first thing is he's getting, um, he's he's being um, honored at the SEMA Surf Summit, right? In Laguna Beach um, next week or two in two weeks, I think it is, right? The, August of- 7th. It is... This Friday, yeah. this Saturday, this Saturday. Saturday. Yeah. So yeah, Dick. Um, so this, I'll, let me just lead in for you here. The SEMA Surf Summit is a thing where the surf industry gets together and they, um, they basically honor people that deserve to be honored. And they also raise money for a number of charities and it happens each year. And it's kind of a big deal. It's like a, it's like a formal invite only $600 ticket, blah, blah, blah. Waterman's ball. 
is what right. it's called, right? Yeah, the yeah, Waterman's the, Ball. Yeah. He's Thanks. getting the Lifetime Achievement Award at the Waterman's Ball. Yeah. Um, oh, you're right. I'm sorry. It's August 14th. So you're right. Next Saturday. Actually, I August think... 7th is Shaq is Correct. doing. Um, yeah. Because not everyone can afford or is even invited to the Waterman's Ball. Correct. Shaq is doing a thing this Saturday at Shaq in San Clemente, the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center. So maybe absolutely you should check that out and go to that. And I would go to that, but I'm, I've got a prior engagement. Well, um, Surfing Heritage and Culture Center is Shaq. And Scott Bass and I started this podcast journey together there. We actually started it in your garage, but we did the most of our years recording together was at Shaq. So it is our home studio. We stopped going during COVID. Um, hopefully we find our way back there, but it's a fantastic museum. Uh, giant surfboard collection, archive of magazines, images, like it is epic. And so you can find them. It's shacc.org, I believe is their website, or on Instagram at Surfing Heritage. And that'd be a great event to go to. Dick is incredible. Um, I obviously did a four-part podcast series with him about two years ago now. And I honestly could just, uh, I should be doing more with him. I should be revisiting conversations with him every month. And so if you have the opportunity to go and have him engage with him in person, hear him speak in person, you should absolutely go. Yeah. Um, Steve Morris is the new executive director there. He's been there about three or four months or something like that. And um, he's doing some great work there. And I'm just looking at their website now and it is shack.org and you can take a virtual tour of uh, the deal. And, Oh, by the way, you should go to Saturday night's August 7th thing honoring Dick Metz because you'll get to meet Dick. And here's super insider note. If you roll into Shaq this week, um, I think you have to bring a mask and you have to be vaccinated. I, I think, but I'm not positive. My point is you'll run into Metz. He'll be there. He's, he'll be at the museum. And just grab him and go, hey, give me a tour. And he'll, as you know, David, he'll gladly give you a tour and you'll get the best tour of that place you've ever received because he'll just go in, in depth on each and every board and it'll, it'll be well worth your time to, to get a tour by Dick Metz. He won't let you go. Even if you want to leave, he won't let you <laughs> He's a legend. I love that guy. He's so great. I do too. What a, what a cool character to have in surfing. Um, Let's get some COVID updates real quick. You just referenced it. Uh, the Delta variant is on the spread. Are you affected by this for the boardroom show yet or at all? Uh, no, we're doing the boardroom show. Um, Good. Of course, we have to um, follow County of San Diego and State of California um, policies and protocols. Whatever they tell us we have to do, we have to do. But right now, um, the San Diego County has recommended that if you are at an indoor event um it's recommended that you wear a mask it's not mandated that you wear a mask it's recommended of course the situation is very fluid and it's very political as we have a recall of the governor right now so i think my instincts are telling me that the governor is kind of like holding off on doing anything too radical as his political future is in the balance here um <clears throat> common courtesy would dictate that you certainly wear a mask, get vaccinated if you're cool with it and slow the spread. Um, 
there was footage coming out of Puerto Escondido yesterday of the Mexican police, uh, the federales, confiscating surf confiscating surfboards off the beach. The waves were absolutely pumping, and there was a mandate that nobody was allowed to go surfing, and signs on the beach stating as much. And so, of course, surfers broke that protocol and paddled out and got barreled. But when they came in, or if they lost their boards, the police were there on the beach on the four wheelers, motoring up to the board, grabbing it and taking the surfer away. So, and not wearing masks, by the way, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> the police themselves were maskless. Um, but boards were being confiscated at Puerto Escondido yesterday, Scott. Yeah, that's sort of the, the breaking news, right? Um, I got some insight yesterday from locals that live down there that. Um, that's what's happening in the state of Oaxaca, which is where Barra is and the Sinaloa surf camps. And I can tell you that it's my understanding that the Barra, that the beaches have been closed and that the event, the WSL event at Barra has been canceled. Now that's not coming from the WSL. I could very well be wrong, but I'm hearing from, like I said, locals that are have feet on the ground in Sinaloa at Barra Bar has been closed. The beach is breaking closed. news. This is breaking news. Yes, bar has been closed, and um, and what I'm hearing is that the event is not going to go down. But again, we haven't heard a peep from the WSL on this. But um, I'm sure that they're tra- probably scrambling, trying to figure it all out. I hope I'm wrong, and I very well could be. But I'm telling you, <laughs> Mexico, the state. The state of Oaxaca shutting down beaches. Um, the event, I believe, starts on the 11th. Does that right. sound right? Yep. Uh, which, is, which is what next? Okay, week? the 10th. The 10th. Yeah. It's a week so, from so in theory, the beaches could be closed today, but they could be open by the time the event starts. However, surfers should, if they're not down there already, which I saw Kyle Avelli actually posted footage down there. Um, and I presume it was current, but if they're not already down there already, you want to get down there as early as possible before competition starts. And so, yeah, even if, you know, the WSL's thought was, well, let's wait it out. Maybe they'll, they'll open it in the next few days. It's not really early enough to give everybody that fair shake, you know, to uh, be competition ready. Um, so what does this mean, Scott Bass? What does this mean if there's only one event left in the season, which is Tahiti, which who knows if that even runs, uh, how does this affect the world title? Um, before we go there, that's a great question. Let me give you what, what my guy down there sent me yesterday, word for word. Yeah. This comes from my guy on the beach who lives there. I got word Barra de la Cruz is going to shut down tomorrow, which would be today. And the contest is off. Puerto Escondido shut down yesterday, which was yesterday, for two weeks due to COVID. So if they're doing a two-week shutdown, that tells us a lot. And um, I asked him for some follow-up, and I haven't heard back from him. But what? let's assume it's not going to happen. I don't think it is. Um, What does it mean for the world title? We just have Tahiti left, right, if we're assuming this. And... um, who are the top five, right? So, so the top five are Gabriel Idolo, Felipe, Morgan Siblick, and Griffin Colopinto. The back half of the 10, top 10, are Kanoe Garashi, Jordy Smith, Connor Coffin, Yago Dora, John John Florence, who's now out for the season. 
Yeah. Um, None of those are Tahiti specialists except uh, Idolo and Gabriel look comfy out there, but those and Yagodora probably would have a scrape, but uh, those other guys, I don't think of when I think of big barreling left-handers. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, um, Kanoa is the, to me, it's like Morgan's the one that you're like, Hmm, he's the wild card as far as making it to low, to lowers in September. He's number four. He could easily lose out in the first round. Yeah. And I, you could see Kanoa who's kind of just fresh off of a very um, inspired Olympic session uh, doing well. And, and uh, I wouldn't put it past Yago Dora to scoot up the rankings either. Yago would be more comfortable out there. So Jordy Smith, by the way, withdrew from the Olympics due to injury. So I'd be, there's a question mark there, whether or not he will even come back. Um, Connor Coffin, we've seen him go at pipeline, so he can go. I just don't think that he's, it's not his bread and butter. He's not as comfortable. There's a huge difference between just being able to muster the courage versus controlling a lineup and going, you know, at the last minute, spinning around and taking off like Gabriel and Idolo are going to be doing or John, John Wood or Kelly. Yeah. Wood. You know, it's a great way to, I'm sorry to interrupt Dave. I'll just no, throw this in there. Um, a great way to look at it is like, what is each surfer's floor and what is each surfer's ceiling? Right. And you feel comfortable with Connor's floor, right? Connor coffin. We know he can, like you said, he can paddle into it and he will go. So he's got a pretty solid floor. Is he going to push nines? out there well maybe i mean who knows but we see it more like we see sixes and sevens that's kind exactly. of the ceiling and so somebody like jordy or a greater example right is gabe or even kanoa well we know you you always speak about kanoa's floor is 7.5 all day long his ceiling is 9.5s yeah you know what i mean but so let's, when we look at it in regards of what's his floor and what's his ceiling i think that's a, a good way for the listeners to grasp what we're talking about it is. And what I see this being an opportunity uh, for somebody to jump out of the twenties being ranked 20, if they, I mean, I don't know how the math exactly shakes out, but it seems like if you won this event, you could leapfrog all the way up. I don't know if you could leapfrog into fifth, but when you look at that, I mean, Adriana de Souza, I think he could get, he could make some heats at Chopu and he's sitting 13th right now. Seth Moniz absolutely can. He's sitting 14th. Miguel Pupo can also sitting 14th. Um, interestingly, Julian Wilson would have a real shot out there, but he's withdrawn from the season and per perhaps permanently from competition. Owen well, Wright's me, sitting 20th. Let me chime in. And, and as you know, so 10,000 points for first place. So to get into where, uh, Morgan Siblick is Morgan's at 24,000. So, okay. you know, uh, you know, kind of like roughly speaking, anyone with 14,000 or better, if they win, they have a chance of moving past Morgan, uh, assuming Morgan does bad. Right. So, so that would be yeah. about 17th place. Right. Exactly. Unfortunately, so who's, who's got the high ceiling there that could win it out of those guys is what the question you and I are trying to like Seth Moniz. I could see Seth Moniz winning. He's got, a, he's got a ceiling of two tens out there, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. Could you could you imagine Seth Moniz? He finished 17th at Pipe, 17th at the next event, 17th at the next event, fifth, ninth, and a ninth. And then wins one event and ends up in the finals day. What if he wins a world title? Yeah. And the other That'd thing be is horrendous. 
are, are that would be awesome. Are these ratings adjusted so that they've thrown out the two top, the two scores? No. no. So that's another and thing. And are they even going to throw out two scores this season? Yeah, who knows? Because Probably not. You, you're, you mentioned Owen Wright. You look at Owen Wright, you go, yeah, Owen could, his ceiling is two tens out there. And he would move to 22,000 points. Now he wouldn't move into the top, but he would move some people away. Yeah. He would push some people down in the process. So there's that too, you know? So, and um, by the way, Kelly, Sl- Kelly Slater could win out there. You know, this is the one event the season that Kelly could easily win. Well, this in pipe. Um, and so, yeah, this is a huge opportunity for him. Yeah. Look at the uh, bottom half and look whose ceiling is, is 10,000 is a win. And there yeah. are some guys in that, that are in that spot. Now, humor me, Scott, and let's do the women's side, because honestly, this is where this is where we're going to see a lot more um, consequence, I think, and a lot more shaking up than the men's side, even in the men's, there's a lot of shaking up. But on the women's side, if the waves are pumping, there's uh, only a few surfers that I would put my money on. And Caroline Marks would be one of them. Tatiana Weston Webb, Sally Fitzgibbons. This puts Carissa Stranglehold. Well, she's kind of, I think she's a lock for a world title no matter what, but um, it at least gives that two through five opportunity to shuffle. So Caroline Marks can easily jump into it. She's sitting sixth. Sally's already in there with third. Is there anybody in the back half that you could see jumping in? Well, I don't know the field that well, but the one that sticks out to me is Malia Manuel because she's from Kauai. Yeah. And you would think she would be comfortable over shallow reef breaks, you know? Um, I, but again, I can't speak to her. For some reason, I think Bronte McCauley, based on yep. her father, who's just a, a, For just sure. a full charger, I could see Bronte charging at Chopu. And maybe that's the one that's like, yeah, if she wins it, she goes to 28,000. And she probably pushes one of those people out in the process. So hard to say. And again, have they thrown out the two scores? We don't really know. We should probably know. Um, I feel kind of. They don't know. The WSL doesn't know. They They don't even know. They don't even know that Barra's canceled yet. Um, (laughs) We're telling them. We're telling Make sure you post this one really soon so everyone can. Because they're probably going to post something on their website this morning, I bet. I I have a feeling they will too. Um, So. On the women's side, though, this is a career-making opportunity. This is where you you need to recognize that training should have already been done, you know? And so if you weren't doing trips to Tahiti, which Lakey Peterson has done, um, or Caroline Marks has done, like, this is an opportunity where the field could be caught, you know, unexpected, with, you know, uh, unprepared. And so you could really seize an opportunity. Somebody like Betty Lou Sakura, uh, Amaro Tetsuki from Japan. Like this is an opportunity for them to jump into the world stage, win a title, jump into the top five. I mean, win win the event, jump into the top five and then be vying for a world title. More kind of an easier shot at a world title here than any other season. Yeah, it's going to be both the men's and the women's will be. I think there's more... I think there's more shakeup to actually happen on the men's side though. When I look at the women's, I'm just, I, I look at the bottom half and I don't see, maybe it's cause I don't know, but like, I look at Tyler, right? Like is, Tyler didn't really impress us at pipe. She didn't even get barrel. I know. And she claimed it. <laughs> That's the weirdest thing ever. 
<laughs> but he claimed a six and it wasn't even it, a proper six. It was like, am I wrong in suggesting that the women's side, the women's side seems way more solidified than the men's side? Uh, well, I think the, on the women's side, somebody could jump from last place to first place, essentially. Hmm. You mean out um, of the top five? Because to go to first place. Well, not to first. Yeah. Into the top five into a uh, world title contention based on the format this year. I'll tell you, this was, <laughs> hold on, hold that thought. I'll give you this. Okay. Time. Okay. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Okay. Welcome and back. now back to the podcast. Thank you. Um, I was going to say, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but the horse isn't actually dead yet. Um, and this isn't just with the benefit of hindsight. This We've been saying this since 2020, but this was a mistake to run an actual world tour this year for the WSL. Uh, we said at the beginning of the season, it's like, there's too much complication and variable, and it's going to ultimately lead to not only a shuffling of the schedule, but inevitable frustration. And it's not doing the, the, the world title actual justice. And so, yeah, you should run events this year, but there should be uh, an interim world title or some other, some other name, they should be exhibition events, something. And by the way, gives you an opportunity to completely shake up the format to do a five person boat trip with the top five that doesn't have world title implications, but it gets, you know, uh, it's exciting to watch and there's money on the line or whatever the structure is, but this really undermines the value of a world title. If you have somebody doing what we talked about, like Seth Moniz, um, coming from you know his his ranking and also um, finishes in the previous events, all those seventeenths, all those ninths, and somebody like Gabriel Medina, who has absolutely dominated this season, who's clearly the better surfer. If you've created a mathematical scenario where a Seth Moniz can get into the finals day event and then beat Gabriel and actually be the world champ this year, it undermines the value of the world title. When everybody who's watched with any discernment at all can say those eight 
you know, 14 other people were better surfers that season. How did that guy win a world title? It's pretty yeah, incriminating. I'll, I'll play devil's advocate. That's why we surf the heats, you know, like you, you know, if Gabe's that good, then that won't happen. You know what it I can mean? happen in a fun, but as surfers, you know, in a final day, a single event that could happen. What if Gabe gets injured? Well, what you're arguing is let's just do edits and pick the best surfer and not have the competition, you know, and it's not what I'm arguing at all. Well, I'm, I'm arguing. I'm, I'm arguing. What you're saying is that we all know that Gabe's the best surfer, right? Is that true? This season? Yes. He's the yeah. best. Surfer okay. This season. So that's based on what, what we watched him do in heats. Correct. Correct. Right. And so now he yes, leads I'm with you hundred percent. He leads by a you know pretty healthy margin, over thirteen thousand points unadjusted, yep. and he therefore of the top five he gets to be in that position where he only has to surf one heat, rather actually, than go. Th- actually, oh, best of three. Best of three instead of going through, which is better for my. I agree. I agree. Yeah, he gets best of three, and so he gets you know the benefit of doing really well the whole season by being the number one rated surfer. So, I mean, to me, it's like, look, if he doesn't pull it off at a best of three, maybe he wasn't the best surfer. He entirely was the best surfer. They traveled the world to figure it out. Like he smoked all of those guys in all of those conditions on one day. He had had an off day. So you're saying that we should just eliminate the the last event of the season and and put who's ever in in first place after the points, the winner. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. The finals day, the finals day thing is kind why of, not, why not eliminate, why not eliminate the last event? Like, why are we, at what point well, do you why eliminate, is it a, if, if you want to talk why 11 events instead of 10, then yeah. that's a different conversation, but it should be, there needs to be obviously a vetting process throughout the year in a variety of conditions. The problem. So this finals day format is problematic period. It's right. particularly problematic when there's only five or six events throughout the season right. because of the COVID cancellations, right. you know? And so I'm, I like that they're trying the new finals day format. I think lowers is the wrong thing. I, I think the math might need to work differently to really make sure that the best surfer of the season wins. Um, I don't think that this finals day format is I mean, closer to the goal I, of making sure the best surfer wins than the previous format was. Let me ask you this. I, I, I just sense that you're, you're kind of like, you don't have a, a format that you, you want a format that no matter what at the end, makes Gabe the winner. No, I want the best. I'll just state it very simply. The best surfers in the world, riding the best waves in the world right. and letting the best surfer define themselves. And this year, Gabriel has defined himself despite the waves being marginal. Okay. So again, I'm, I'm, what do you want? Like, what are you seeking that this finals day doesn't provide you? An accumulation of points that create a total at the end of the season that deems the winner. Okay. So no finals day, no final five. You want, you want to go back to the old way. The old way with fewer surfers in better waves. Yes. Accumulated points, fewer surfers in better waves, no top five, none of that. There definitely is no need for the top five. The only need for the top five was the WSL trying to design a scenario where that we had in 2019. Yeah. Where Gabriel were number one and number two, Gabriel and Idolo ended up in the final at the final event, which was pipeline that rarely ever happens. And so the WSL saw that and goes, Oh my gosh, 
how do we create a scenario where it ensures that number one and number two do that? And that, so it's like, okay, well, the top five, let's have them all in a surf off together and then they can buy it out. But the problem is when you have somebody who's dominating the season, so, you know, definitively like Gabriel does, it then under, you know, it then gives somebody uh, underdog the opportunity to dethrone him based on one day's performance. And by the way, we all know in surfing that you can have a bad day, but more importantly, what if Gabe gets injured? What happens then? And what if it's not, what if it's not an injury that sits him out, but an injury like John, John, where he's like, you know, I'm at 70%, but I still got to surf at its finals day. Then that. I just think that's competition, you know, like that's the, that's what it is. Like, yeah, it's not perfect. You know, like what if Tom Brady gets hurt? What, you know, it sucks. What, you know, what if it's just, that's why we compete, you know, like that's why we have these competitions. I get what you're saying in the eyes of many and mine included my eyeballs included. Gabriel Medina is by far and away the most dominant competitive surfer this year. He's just insane. Maybe not far and away, but points wise. And, you know, well, far and away from everybody other than Idolo, basically. Right. Exactly. That's, that was my problem because I think Idolo's right there. So we all agree it's Idolo and Gabe. Why aren't they just having an Idolo and Gabe surf off? And hopefully that's what unfolds, but I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of like, look, that's why we compete, you know, like it, at some point, you know, things go wrong. Things don't go according to plan. You and know, that's okay. You know what? Um, where I see the biggest vulnerability here is for Felipe Toledo without having Mexico to accumulate points because Felipe, based on um, his performance at Margaret River, based on his performance at Surf Ranch, he could beat Gabe at lowers. Like, yeah. He is that he's got like a new gear and it's, it's shaken Gabriel. I would even say, especially at the wave pool, Gabriel has won every other competition that was ever held in that wave pool. Even the founders cup, even the future classic, like the exhibition events. And then every CT event, Gabe has won that. And for Felipe to kind of get into his head here, I thought was a pretty big deal and lowers Felipe could win lowers. Felipe could have Gabe's number at lowers and Felipe lives in San Clemente now. And so Barra is a place where Felipe could have gained points on, on uh, Gabriel, but Tahiti is a place where Felipe is notoriously finished last or second to last. And so this leaves a huge opportunity for him to get bumped down the rankings. Gabe could win the event again, but more importantly, there's other people that can get pushed up into that top five. All that Felipe has to do is make sure he doesn't get bumped out of the top five, basically. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. One is I was just thinking, God, it would be a bummer if Felipe didn't make the top five. Like in some in some way you want Felipe out like you don't like I love Connor Coffin, but you don't Connor Coffin against anybody at lowers like he just doesn't have the air game to compete. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just kind of like if you're going to do this, let's put the guys that are going to be most competitive in that situation. You know, and so Morgan does make sense in that regards. Like Morgan does have air game, you know, um, Kanoa, of course, Yago for sure. You know, you don't want to see Frederico Marias in the number no. five spot at lowers. You're just like, really? Don't even show up. You know what I mean? And I, and um, I don't have, I, Frederico surfs incredible. I'm not poo pooing Frederico. I'm poo pooing 
sort of the format that we're set in, which is why you and I have been arguing for waves of consequence for the final day so that the Frederico Marias have a chance. You know, if it's an eight foot Puerto or wherever, you know, eight foot Kandui left, Frederico could win. Uh, so Mexico isn't officially off. Let's play a scenario where they're actually able to run the event in Mexico. There's another problem, Scott, and it's a scheduling conflict. There's only a five-day window between Mexico and Tahiti in the scheduling. Now, this was not originally scheduled this way. Mexico was supposed to take place earlier, but because of the Olympics, the WSL adjusted the schedule two months ago to push Mexico back. So now there's only a five-day window between Mexico and Tahiti. France has just gone into... Uh, new COVID protocols where travelers, if they're vaxxed, they can land in the country. And by the way, France owns Tahiti, yeah. obviously. Yeah. So when French, when uh, international travelers land in France or Tahiti, if you're vaccinated, you can go ahead about your business. If you are unvaccinated, you're required to do a 10-day quarantine. There's a lot of the surfers on tour who are still not vaccinated. And this means they would show up from Mexico and they only have five days until the event window begins. They need 10 days to quarantine. Yeah, that's what I'm reading here. I just went to the Tahiti COVID-19 page. Yeah, that's it. It basically says, you know, vaccinated travelers not required to quarantine, unvaccinated travelers and travelers who have not been approved for, um, they need to quarantine for says 15 days prior prior to departure and you need a boarding authorization. Wait, wait, wait. So essentially details aside, it's impossible. It's impossible yeah. to run both events back to back. And so I think the biggest crime would actually be if Mexico somehow ran and then they had to cancel Tahiti due to this stuff, or they ran with an abbreviated field, you know, without all the surfers actually being able to compete. This is all a headache. So I think the easiest solution here is cancel Mexico. It's already too big of a risk. And then just focus your sights on Tahiti, which is actually a better wave or, you know, more consequence. Yeah. More, conse more consequential wave. Here's a weird thought. Um, what if they had the final day in Tahiti? <laughs> Love it. Love it. But again, the schedule doesn't allow it. Yeah. All right. Oh, well, um, gosh, it's it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out, to say the least. And um, yeah, I'll tell I'm you a, what. Yeah. Uh, this has been an exciting year of surfing, despite all of these hiccups. This has been an exciting year of surfing. As I kind of looked back at what we've completed so far, like the Olympics has been exciting. Free surfing has been exciting we're getting better content, I think, than we've gotten in a very long time. Um, so just as a surf fan, and I think we learned this in 2020 as well is, yeah, we like to have competition, but we're fine without it. We're totally fine without it. And uh, we got, and in terms of the podcast, we have plenty to talk about regardless, you know? So. Well, that, that kind of brings us to the stab high feature, which has um, been really fun. Been you got super, caught up? No, but I, I did watch some of it. Um, I'm not fully caught up. I've, I've got about 10 minutes, five minutes left in season, in episode two. 
But the one thing that is standing out to me, and I'll, I'll just go through them and then let you kind of unpack it, is that in a weird way, it kind of feels like the WSL, like I feel like they could they could like limit the amount of guys because there's some guys that are really standing out, you know, oh, yeah. like Ian Crane. The guy's mentally, he's pretty incredible. Mateus Hurdy. Um, yes, Mateus Hurdy. And this kid from Costa Rica, Malachi Martinez, reminds me of Idolo. Yeah. He's just super fast. And he just, I mean, these guys have got the rotations. Like they do these all day, every day. This is like doing a bottom turn for some of these Mal guys. I've spent and, time with Malachi too. He's super cool. And you can see guys that maybe aren't quite at that level too, you know, that are red hot surfers doing insane, you know, aerials, but they're just not quite on the level. So Ian Crane looks insane. Jet Schilling looks insane. Mateus and Malachi are both mm -hmm. standing out to me. One thing that I think is really great and you probably already aware of this, but I'm really impressed by Nathan Fletcher. Oh, yeah. um, he, he's informative. He's technical. He's smart. He's intelligent. Like he's, he's kind of in my eyes, the star of the show in many ways. And, and, and it's all quite natural. It's just Nathan being Nathan. So I'm super, uh, I'm just really enjoying. Um, and, and, and and actually getting to know surfers that I just didn't, I've never seen before yeah. that are just red hot surfers, you know, and I know that you're probably more on uh, a little bit more tuned in to who these guys are, but for a guy like me who isn't super immersed in every edit that comes out, um, it's pretty cool. It's pretty eye opening to see these guys. Well, Stab identified that Nathan Fletcher was the star a long time ago. And um, that's why they invited him on the Stab High boat trip last year. And Nathan leveled up and exceeded their expectations when he stomped the biggest air of the trip, even though he was the judge, yeah. you know, like that was the gnarliest thing ever. And it was a, it was one that nobody saw coming. Like nobody was even trying to do a giant straight air and he did it straight out of the barrel. He was getting barreled. And as he was coming out, he bottom turned mid face and just boom, like launched off a section that most people would still be trying to head dip went full straight air and landed it. And it was just different than the rotations that everybody was doing. And it was bigger. It was just crazy. And that's the old guy on the trip showing the young guys how to do it. So they, I think he earned his spot back to every stab high with that one performance, but I totally agree. You're totally right. Um, so to hear him speaking with authority and all of the young bucks knowing like, Oh gosh, this guy, yeah. He's been doing it for 20 years, first of all, and then also can still beat me at it. Yeah. You better listen up. Um, fully agree. Hearing the judges sort through their rationalizations for their scoring is really insightful. So kind of what you're talking about with Nathan, but they let the camera roll long and it becomes a five minute segment on them working through their judging. And yeah. so they're all watching the footage on the big screen. This is an insight that we've never gotten before from the WSL for obvious reason. Uh, they shouldn't provide this for us, but it's cool that in this format they can. And so hearing Mikey February and Mikey C, uh, Brendan, and then I forget what the girl's name is from Spain, but she's the creativity judge. Yeah. Anitra or Anit or something. Yeah. Um, they're saying, you know, oh, well, I think... Ian's crane, that spin was really uh, inverted. And I love that. And then somebody chimes in. Yeah, but it was actually on a part of the wave that was kind of soft. 
the lip wasn't pitching as much as Matt Miola's and even the landing, you know, he landed on a soft spot. Okay. So yeah. So they're kind of adjusting their scoring based on what other people are identifying. We all know watching a clip one time, you have a visceral reaction to it, but the more times you can watch it, you can kind of unpack subtleties of what took place. Well, each person is doing that. So you have four or five people doing that and adding their own feedback and coming to actually a pretty precise score. Yeah, You know, it's not as if they're influencing them in the wrong direction. It's like they're coming to a better, I think, more accurate score that can only be come to with that much kind of review and conversation. So I thought that's hugely insightful. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You nailed it. There's not much I can add to that, but the judging process is fascinating. And um, to see them all sort of um, uh, acquiesce to the legend that is Nathan Fletcher is cool. And and the stuff like, here's a great example of what Nathan's bringing. He'll go, well, he deserves a nine and we're going to give him a nine, but next year we're going to look like idiots for giving him a nine, you know, which speaks to the progression that's happening. And I, I'm just... I'm super stoked on it. You know, one thing, a couple things I'll, Oh, go ahead. Oh, about judging specifically. Let me ask you. Yeah. Cause this is a problem that we have uh, across the board in all surf competition. Mikey Ciamarella says it was about Matt Miola. He goes, I'd like to give him a nine. I'm going to only give him a nine. Matt, uh, Matt Miola's big, huge backside spin off into the flats on like a section that was just so gnarly. Mikey Ciamarella says, I'm going to give him a nine because I think Miola can still do something bigger. And it's like, I fully understand why he said that. And I kind of agree with him. However, if Mickey Clark or Malachi or any of the other kids would have done that air, you would have thrown a 10 out. No problem. So it's like Matt Miola is getting punished in this. I don't know about that. I don't, I think you're taking, I understand what you're saying, but I don't think that they're going to give anybody a 10 this early on in the process because there is always room for improvement. It's almost like you can't give 10s in this competition because you just don't know, regardless if it's Matt Miola or Aaron Brooks, you know, like there's always room for a little higher, a little faster or a little gnarlier or, you know what I, right? Well, that's an interesting, it's a very interesting point that could very well be argued, but they're not living in that rule book. They're, they are giving tens and you're wrong. If Aaron Brooks did that air, she would have gotten a 20. They would have been like, we're creating a new rule. That's a 20. You know what I mean? So it was specifically because it was Matt Miola. Yeah, it was Matt problem. Miola. We're not giving this guy a 10 to because he can do more. And he's right. Matt Miola can do more. Well, what you're saying is Matt Miola shouldn't really be invited to this. And, so, and you know, like, you know what I mean? Like I that think line, should, but yeah. well, I agree, but that line of logic suggests that he's too good for our competition. If we're downgrading him. It's a limitation of the 10 point format. Yeah. Ultimately that's what this comes down to. Yeah. If and- he does, if he does something bigger then he gets a 10. And if you have two guys with, that are tied with two tens or whatever, however the, the formatting is, then you just go have a surf off. I, I, I disagree. I think there could be a solution, extra credit. What if there's extra credit? Like Matt Miola earned a 10 on that wave, but at the end of the week, we're gonna review everything. And once we have the benefit of hindsight, we can yeah. add extra credit points. Yeah, hindsight points. 
Exactly. How cool would it be if they flew in Derek Hind? (laughs) That would be so funny. And so he wouldn't know what the hell's going on. He doesn't even know what's going on. Um, One thing, another thing about this, the structure of the event by making it week to week, by allowing everybody to go surf wherever they want with their own filmer. You don't have to go all surf out front. We'll just review the footage later. All of this really inspires the other surfers to elevate their performances. They are going huger than I've ever seen before. Like truly people are pushing their own limits. They're looking at sections that they normally would have floated or backed off of and realizing I got to hit this thing because I just saw Matt Miola down the beach doing his thing. And of course the consequence is there's a bunch of injury that's happening, but I've never seen a quicker progression not only for the whole piece, like, but for individual surfers, you know, for like Aaron Brooks, like going out there session after session and getting better session after session. She's pushing herself because of what she's witnessing. And what you mentioned last time, I think is fascinating, right? And that's that they've brought these young girls along the ladybirds. The guys are all more or less, you feel like, and maybe I'm wrong, but okay, Malachi's 20 or the guys are more or less kind of in their QS to CT age. And so maybe some of them will get on the CT and kind of push the limit a little bit. But you really sense that in five years, the women's side of the CT is going to get blown up. When Aaron Brooks and Sierra um, Kerr and some of these other girls, Bella Kenworthy, Kate, yeah. When they show up on tour, if they do, in fact, in say five years, they're just going to march through and be in the top five immediately based on what they're doing right now. And so we're going to see a greater change on the women's side of the equation than and a quicker progression, whereas it's going to be a slightly slower progression on the men's side. And I guess the, the, what I'm bringing up is why not bring some lady bugs? You've got lady birds, bring some, or not, what would I, whatever the guys would be called, bring some 10, 10, 12 year old guys into this. (laughs) So that, so that we can see the progression when, you know, Dorian's kid makes the tour and all, you know, like, and I guess some of that's already happening. Um, but anyway, that, I, another thing I want to bring up, if I may, is in episode two, about halfway three, through, you'll see Bella Kenworthy do a little frontside air, just like a little my credit card air that we mentioned last week is about a quarter of that. So if you wanted to know what my credit card air looked like, it's about a quarter of what Bella Kenworthy did about halfway through episode two. That's exactly what I had envisioned. Yes. Um, the ladybirds are progressing at an unbelievable clip in this trip. Yeah. It okay. really, to go from like day one to kind of day right. five or whatever they're on now. Um, yeah. So, I'll just shout it out now. I was going to hold it off, but Aaron Brooks is my Duke of the week. Aaron Brooks does a couple of airs that are so gnarly that I had to rewind and watch a couple of times, just completely baffled because they're not gnarly for a 13 year old girl. They're gnarly airs full stop, you know? Um, And she's surprised. Like her humility is really, really cute and endearing. She's just but you could see that she's throwing caution to the wind. She's pumping down the line. She sees a big section. She just hucks it 
she has enough kind of awareness and body awareness to know where she's at, lands at buttery. And it's like, oh my gosh, it is next level. It's completely next level surfing. Let me ask you this. Um, what kind of prize money is involved in this? I don't know. Hmm. There is prize money, but that has not been a focus of their advertising. Much, and I didn't how much, even think How much it. do you think it should be? How much do you think these athletes deserve? Well, that's a different... I mean, ultimately, how much can the business afford to pay them is kind of what it comes down to. Right, But right. I would say, you know, um, somewhere from 20 to 50,000 bucks would be a good, like yeah. an honorable number. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. 50,000 bucks would be super honorable, but 20, they'd be more than happy to like go down there, risk injury and spend two weeks for 20,000 bucks. Yeah. Um, the biggest kind of epiphany for me is just Mateus Hurdy. Mateus Hurdy is freaking gnarly. He's yeah. super stylish, first of all. And there's lots of times, I don't know, in the last 20 years where you have somebody who is an aerialist, Chippa Wilson. He's the aerial guy. You know, Matt Miola, to a certain extent, he's the aerial guy. Mateus Hurdy is not only art, one of the best aerialists on the trip, he's the best surfer on the trip. He's got the full package. He reminds me of Julian Wilson a lot, actually, where it's the fundamentals are so sound, but when there's a big section, he's throwing a huge huck and he's landing it and his bot goes into a bottom turn, then he's doing an epic carve. And yeah. a lot of the other guys, you see him just racing for a section, Mateus is shredding and then he's doing a huge air incorporated into his surfing. Yeah. There's a few other guys that are pretty worthy. I think though. Who do you think? You know, like Ian Crane. Ian Crane's pretty solid surfer. If he didn't really do any impressive. aerials all, at all, you'd be like, this guy's got a really good style and he, he knows what he's doing. And there's a few yeah. other guys. Hey, Albie's bored. Did you notice Albie layers blunted nose surfboard? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did an interview with Tomo on the boardroom podcast a couple, maybe a month ago. And we were, we went into pretty in depth on the concept of a blended nose. And um, it was kind of, kind of cool to see that. Uh, Albie's been writing those for a bit. I think they're made by infinity. Uh-huh. Is that, did you notice yeah. that or? Yeah. yeah. The Brown blurred um, Dave and um, his brother. Um, yeah. Dave Bainey. And uh, anyway, Brown blur. Um, I think it's Dave. It's Dave. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Kelly Slater. So Brad Gerlach did a two hour interview with Kelly Slater last week on wave key, uh, on his Instagram account, like a live stream kind of call in thing. Yeah. And Kelly was talking about George Greeno wanted to talk to him and he had never met George before. And, uh, but he knew who he was and all that, like he had an appreciation for him, but somebody gave him, gave Kelly Greeno's number. And he's like, Hey, Greeno's want, wants to talk to you. I don't know what it's about. So Kelly calls Greeno and Greeno basically talked at him for like an hour. Kelly's yeah. like, I didn't get two words in edgewise, no, no. but yeah. all that he was harping on was telling me to stop writing pointy nose surfboards. Greeno's like, wow. there's no reason for it. There's no um, design benefit. There's no hydrodynamic benefit. They're yeah. only a nuisance. They're only a danger in the lineup. Yeah. And Kelly said at the time, he's like, yeah, who cares? Like, I, I hear what he's saying, but whatever. I'm not going to change. Was this recently? This was like 10 years ago. Right. Or right. Maybe more. Yeah. But Kelly's point was he didn't listen to him, but now he's riding all round nosed surfboards. Like he's not riding yeah. pointy thrusters anymore. So green, yeah. the, 
information eventually made it through Kelly's kind of well through through Daniel probably through Tom Daniel Thompson I bet a little bit yeah probably yeah maybe there's that connection too so which is is a Greeno connection you know like that's Greeno's neighbor and I think it's I think it might even be like like uh Daniel's like godfather or or, you know some some sort of connection there with Greeno because I know they're neighbors but I didn't know they were that closely. Uh, Maybe they're not. Maybe I'm mis- misstepping here. I don't know. Um, I've got must see. Oh, by the way, Stab High appears on stabmag.com. It's a, I don't even think it's a premium feature, by the way. I think they're making it live to everybody and it airs on Thursday nights. So I think there's four you know, episodes. Yeah. We're too you, deep. You know what? Um, <laughs> these things that they have are almost bigger than Stab. Like, it's kind of like the today show, like the today show is part of NBC news when it first started like 40 years ago or whatever, the today show is its own brand. And I know that these things are their own brand, but they're also almost bigger than stab. Like in some ways I, I would, it'd be cool if there was enough money in their budget for them to just have electric acid surfboard test and stab high and stab in the dark all sort of have their own, um, editor or their own um you know the person that marshals it forward whatever you would call that and that and that's all they do like they don't also spend time chasing down wsl stories or whatever and then you have a staff that's actually doing journalistic news on like is bar closed or not and you don't spread them out so thin i I think that these things are going and already have risen above the brand the stab brand they're they're their own things and of course everyone knows that but i mean let's give them the resources that they deserve if they are in fact that i think that's the direction they're going i think you have to do it step by step and they are and they're improving every time and uh, i mean again this one is a huge improvement by employing each of the surfers with their own filmers to go surf wherever they want like little stuff like that is a huge resource suck but they were there prepared for it. You know what? In, in my eyes right now, Stab, I don't know what their budget's like. I don't know what Sam's got going on there. But Stab is the one that should move the Red Blob Tour forward. I yeah. think Stab could do the Red Blob Tour, and I bet they're thinking about it. And if not, they should. They should get, you know, let's just get eight guys and and do, I don't know, four months, let's do four events and just follow some red blobs. That's kind of doable for the first one. Let's just do four events. And I don't know. I could see Stab doing it. Surf 100 is the precursor. Right. They've already been doing it, you know? And it's not a tour, but they're gonna do probably three or four of those within a year span. So it kind of becomes a tour, but it's even better because they have individual surfers for each event. That's not the same surfers at every event. Um, but there's plenty of room for what you're saying. It's a matter of resources. They are figuring out the business model per event, like rather than committing to this giant thing yeah. and losing money on it. Baby steps. They, they're doing baby steps and I think they're doing well with it. And having the premium subscription model is a really smart way to get there because you just keep your thumb on the pulse of what your audience wants. And if the audience says, Hey, that kind of sucked, or you should then 
you know, do this or that, they've been able to make those adjustments. So the only, I only other, to... I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm super stoked with what they're doing. The only other thing I would suggest, and I know that they're trying to do this too in small ways, is more community involvement in these things. And what that means, I don't know, but it shouldn't be so, um, it should be, it, it shouldn't be that there's like a gate and, and you feel like you're on the outside of it. And it should be more like you and I get to engage on a deeper level from a community standpoint. And again, what that means, I don't know if it means bringing in a couple of judges that are just that, you know, or I don't know. But they, that's what I, they I did for surf 100. They let viewers judge that. Yes. Perfect. Which was cool. Um, do you have a must see moment? A Duke, a kook? Um, you know what? I, I don't, I do. Good. My must see moment is Snoop Dogg and Kevin Hart commentating the <laughs> surfing in the Olympics. So great. Um, so this, by the way, we owe a huge shout out to listener on Instagram at fight the computer, fight underscore the underscore computer. Uh, he is Eli, looks like he's in Santa Cruz. He filmed this on his phone and sent it to me. So um, I, I did not witness it. I would not have seen it otherwise, but thankfully he did that. I posted it on Instagram, of course, then stab and kook of the day and some other people have picked it up. So if you're ever on Instagram in the last 24 hours, you're going to see this probably 15 times in your feed. It's worth watching all 15 times. Uh, Snoop Dogg is, this is an ongoing joke, by the way. I don't know if you've paid attention, but they get Snoop Dogg to do commentary for like a David Attenborough documentary or, or any random sport or like how it's made. And they show a hot dog factory and Snoop's trying to figure out what they're actually making, but doing commentary the entire time. And he's incredible. He's yeah. the best commentator. Yeah. So him, him trying to sort out Idolo Ferrer's name was solid. Um, them he says it better than he, I do. Totally. Him <laughs> thinking that he died after he broke his board with the wipeout is hilarious. So we've got that on Instagram if you want to see it. My Duke of the week, of course, was Aaron Brooks, 13-year-old Aaron Brooks. And my kook, Scott Bass. Yeah. I don't know that this is actually verified because I found it on Instagram on some Hawaii news uh, accounts. Yes. And then I tried to find out like an actual news report on it online and I couldn't, but mm -hmm. we'll find out starting in 2022, all roads across the state of Hawaii that have Hawaiian names will also be given a four digit number. This number will become the official road name for use on maps and GPS. So the reason is one of the biggest complaints that the city and the counties receive from tourists and new residents is the difficulty of pronouncing Hawaiian street names. They have trouble understanding GPS instructions due to the computer's inability to pronounce the names correctly. So I think this is, um, <laughs> I've experienced this in Hawaii. I think there's only 13 letters in the Hawaiian alphabet. Does that sound right? Um, yeah, that is right. I think that's right. And yeah. so obviously there's a lot of redundancies. They use a lot of K's, A's, U's, L's. Um, and so you get these street names that are, similar sounding, but with slight different configuration of those letters, <coughs> excuse me. Um, and so I have felt this way. 
I have never have felt this way where it's frustrating and I get lost or I make wrong turns or have to have your co-pilot shout at you multiple times while you're driving. Uh, despite those difficulties for myself as a tourist, I never once thought of complaining to any government body <laughs> that they need to change the names for me, the tourist. I think it's absolutely asinine. And by the way, it's also part of the joy. It's also part of the rite of passage for you to be able to yeah. pronounce by the end of the trip, it's rolling off the tongue, you yeah. know, in a way that it was complicated enough. You feel like you've learned the language. So totally agree. Totally yeah. agree. So this is a nightmare. My kooks are not um my kooks are the tourists who are complaining, and my kook is also yeah. the state for acquiescing to tourist yeah. demands. I don't care yeah. how much of your revenue comes from tourists, force yeah. them to become a, assimilate. Don't yeah. change the rules for the tourists. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Haliva feel it. I mean, you know, you got to learn these things. What am I going to do? Land there and go, I'm going to city number five. Yeah, exactly. I, we're no, still going to Haliva. We're I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. wrong. It's probably Haliva. Totally. We're going to pronounce it wrong. Haliva. Hawaii. 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 Yeah, I always mess it up, but that's at least I'm trying. And that's, as you mentioned, that's part of traveling. Can you imagine going to France and they would be pissed? <laughs> you started numbering their areas and to their credit by the way i think their areas are numbered in paris. I, <laughs> the, I think kidding. it's the the different arrondissement <laughs> what about the bordeaux region what number is the board i'm going to the bordeaux region i'm not going well, that's to not five. paris that's not paris but paris oh, itself no, is I mean broken France. into different dis districts oh, well uh I, I don't know i never went there it was too confusing <laughs> but you're absolutely right and more more importantly the government or yeah, the government would laugh in your face and smack you with a baguette and send you on your way. If you ever suggested such a thing, you know, by the way, my favorite French shaper, Valerie Duprat is going to be in the icons of foam shape off honoring Pat Rawson at the boardroom show. So microbiologist super... scientist, Valerie Duprat. She's incredible, man. Her, I, I think I mentioned this to you before, but her career highlights in her field is insane. Like she's, she's like, she's like Madam Curry. You know what I mean? Like she's like next level scientist lady. And uh, I'm super stoked. To, we all are Pat's Pat Ross and super stoked to include her. I would like to um, agree with you, but there was a bigger highlight for me with Valerie Duprat. And oh, yeah. that was at a, the last boardroom show I saw her at. She walks up wearing this super cool, what looks like a bomber's jacket from the front, kind of yeah. like, got like a shiny uh, texture to it. And then she kind of turned and there was this giant, I think it's a dragon on the back, like this giant embroidered dragon on the back. And I was like, Ryan Gosling wears that jacket in the movie Drive. And the look on her face of appreciation and validation, it, she was just like, yes. I love that movie. I love that jacket. I searched online to find the exact <laughs> jacket. You're the only person who identified this as that jacket. And I'm like, dude, I love that movie. That, <laughs> that jacket's badass. And I cannot believe you're rocking that right now. And she was like, I need a hug. Like we have to acknowledge <laughs> how great this is. <laughs> it's so cool. It is the coolest jacket. And the fact That's that cool. she had appreciation for it, I was like enamored by it. 
that's super cool story that's great yeah, yeah. well um look the boardroom show is coming up september 25th and 26th oh by the way you can buy tickets now tickets are available go to the boardroom show uh dot com website and you can buy tickets and in that ticket package, we have the dinner with Pat Rawson, an intimate and exclusive five-course dinner, David. You would appreciate this dinner. They're going to do five courses this time, not three, at Ranch 45. And, of course, dinner and a surfboard. You, um, If you are part of the seven people that get to eat dinner with Pat Rawson, uh, you will also receive one of the shaped blanks from round one of the icons of foam shape off and some other cool stuff. Yeti is providing some cool things, a Yeti water bottle and some other things. And guess who purchased the very first ticket? Did I already tell you this? No, I have no idea. So there are only eight tickets. There's now seven tickets left. Randy Rarick bought the first ticket. No way. So you'll be having dinner with not just Pat Rawson, but Randy Rarick, who's equally fascinating from a surf history standpoint. Um, so quite, quite a dinner. I did. The dinner is insane. I wonder if I could pull up real quick. Can I, can I make yeah. one suggestion? I know your yeah. workload is your plate is full. No, no, I need, I need insight. Pun, in, pun intended. Uh, can you provide the sourdough for the, for the dinner? Wow. That would be, you'd be putting can a you, lot of pressure on me. Can you imagine five course meal from ranch 45. Those are your dinner guests, homemade bread from Scott Bass. Oh my God. Maybe that, that would be insane. Okay, I'll see what I can do about that. Here's the dinner. You get course number one is a bacon, lettuce, and tomato, 45-day dry-aged brant beef, lettuce, sourdough, and Chino Farms tomato vinaigrette. Course number two is the Chino Farms street corn truffles and local heat habanero. Course number three is the maple plank wild salmon, local herbs and greens, lemon evo. Course number four is the prime Brant beef, New York, with Chino Farms vegetables and herb emulsion. And course number five is the mini schmores and chocolate caramel tart. Fantastic. Yeah. Those are your five courses. And of course, beer and wine and acoustic live music and an intimate evening with Pat Ross and, and one of the surfboards from the shape off. Could be a Bill Barnfold, could be a Ryan Birch, could be a Valerie Duprat. Who knows? Actually, at the dinner, we pull the names out of the hat. You get to pull a name to see who, which board you're going to win. Sweet. Which That's a lot of fun. shaped blank. Which shaped blank. Thank you. You have to do the glassing yourself. Let's make that clear. Hire somebody. Hire a professional for that. Jim Crozier will do it. There you go. Good show, Scott. Yeah, great show. Uh, until next time, David. Adios and aloha. Way down here. Feel a fool running your state side.